1: My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. We are honored that you have chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you and look forward to a day when you're going to come and join us at one of our campuses. And speaking of campuses, I want to welcome in Prescott Valley Campus. We're so grateful for you today. So glad to have you. Yeah, you can give them a round of applause. Yes so grateful to have you uh look forward uh to being over there again and getting to see you guys again in person real soon um a couple of things, as you came in, both here in Prescott and in Prescott Valley, you should have had a card that looks exactly like this on your seat. If you didn't, you're probably sitting on it. Uh, so want to remind you that a week from today is Easter. So we are super excited about participating in worship together for Easter and wanted to make sure that you had this little invite card. Maybe it's a reminder for you. Maybe it's something you need to give to a co-worker or a family member. Um, But we want to make these available so they're in your chair. You have one of them. They're also available uh, at Connection Central, uh, so you can always jump out there and grab you one of these or ten of these. However many you want, we will pass these out. Uh, Looking forward to celebrating that with you. We do have Saturday night services and Sunday at both campuses. So whichever one of these times works best for you. Come be a part. Be a part of what God is doing and let's celebrate Easter together and then invite people to come and join you. Well, today we are continuing, actually we're going to be wrapping up uh, our uh, sermon series on the parables of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew 22, we actually find a parable that Jesus tells around a wedding banquet. So I just want to start today by asking the question, how many of you like going to weddings? Like, you like it. All right. All right. More than I anticipated. All right. You like going to weddings. And uh, there are some people who love it. Like, you get to dress up, right? You get to dress up and be pretty. You get to take pictures. You get to eat great food. You get to drink liquor that other people pay for. You... (laughs) There's often good music and dancing and there's family and there's always cake. And who doesn't like cake? So why wouldn't you want to go? It's a celebration. It's full of joy and hope and a future, right? It's, it's fun, right? Now let's go to the other side. How many of you would say, no, I don't like going to weddings? All right, go ahead and raise them up. I thought there would be more. All right, so maybe I'm afraid this might be my camp. I mean, why wouldn't you want to go to a wedding, right? Weddings are great, right? You have to dress up, right? You got to dress up and you got to take pictures and you got to stand there in line for 20 minutes to take the pictures. And then you, you got to eat foo-foo food, right? You don't even, they don't even let you order. You just got to eat whatever they bring to you. And it looks kind of bad if you're drinking that much in public to actually enjoy the thing. And so that's weird. And then there's the music part and the dancing. And they never play the music you like. And it's always what the bride and groom like. And, and then, there's, then there's the in-laws, right? I mean, have you ever thought about this? Like weddings are literally where in-laws are created. <laughs> that's how they're made is at weddings. Weddings. And then you always get the cheap cake, right? You don't get the two thousand dollar big nice. T- you get the Costco sheet cake. That's what you got. I don't know if anybody <laughs> told you that. Let's be real. Like a lot of weddings are like bad proms for grown-ups. That's what you got going on there. And here's the worst part. You got to bring a gift. Like you, you, you have to pay for the privilege of being at this thing that you don't want to be at. You got to bring a gift to the prom queen and prom king. You got to bring a gift. And here's the real pessimistic side. I don't, know, I don't know who this is, but somebody in here, I'm speaking on your behalf. The real pessimist would say, and the worst part about the bringing of the gift thing is you know, you know. Like, this is probably not the only wedding gift you're going to have to bring for one of these two, because in nine years you're going to be back, right? You're going to be too soon. Sorry, sorry. See, I told you. Too bad, right? So some of us like going to weddings and others of us don't like going to weddings. But here's the thing about a wedding: they are universal experience. Like every culture in the existence of human beings have had some type of wedding ceremony. They're, they are universal in experience for people. So it should not surprise us that Jesus would often use the metaphor of weddings in many of his teachings. And that's what we're gonna dive into today. Today we're gonna look at a a Wedding banquet. Jesus uses a parable about a wedding banquet. But it's less about what happens at the wedding banquet. And it's more about who gets invited to the wedding banquet. Now, before we dive into the actual parable, we do need to set the context just a little bit. This this event, this story, this teaching happens on the last week of Jesus' life. It's Tuesday. Jesus arrived into town couple of days before on Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, which is today, by the way. So they, he showed up on Sunday and things were great. He rode the donkey, the palms, and everybody was praising his name and singing hallelujah. It was all good on Tuesday. Monday, things went a little sideways because Jesus showed up into the temple and had his great clear the temple moment where he's flipping tables and running people out. That started getting the religious leaders pretty unhappy with him. And so there was a whole conversation about that on Monday. Well, Jesus shows back up to the temple now on Tuesday. How many of you old people in the room remember the movie Braveheart? Anybody Braveheart fans? All right, you'll get this then. So William Wallace was the Scottish. The guy who was leading his band of army and he's standing on a hillside and he looks across and the the English are on the other side and some of the Scottish nobles were there to try to cut a deal with the English to keep from from going to war with the English and they start riding their horses across the field to find terms of peace so they didn't have to go to battle and William Wallace grabs his horse and starts trotting across the field and somebody yells, where are you going? And William Wallace says, going to pick a fight. That's what Jesus is doing today. He's showing up to the temple to pick a fight. That's, that's, the, that's the context here. That Jesus is heading to the temple. He, he started it yesterday, but he's going to ramp it up today. The time for his death is near. And so he's picking a fight with these religious leaders to make sure that what needs to happen on Friday is going to happen. And he does it with a series of three parables. Okay, So he does it with three parables. And in each of these parables, the religious leaders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they are always the bad guy in Jesus' three parables. In the first one, they are the son who says they will obey their father but never actually obey. In the second one, they are the tenant farmers who are working for a landowner. And when the landowner sends his servants to get the harvest from the field, the tenant farmers beat them and kill them. And so the the landowner decides, well, I'll send my son. They'll respect him, and they end up killing him as well. The third parable is the one that we're going to look at today. Now, the thing about these parables is that many of Jesus' parables... His intent is to to not help people understand what he's trying to say. These parables, he knows exactly what he's saying, and he wants his listeners, these religious leaders, to know exactly what he's saying. And they get it. They understand what he's doing. They understand he's picking a fight, and they know he's talking about them. In fact, chapter 21 ends with these words. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. He walks into the temple courts and he's teaching these parables about them. And they know, we're the bad guys here. And so they start to get angry and begin to look for ways to arrest him. But they're scared because the crowd's there. But Jesus isn't done. And so, he has one more parable to tell them. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying... The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. So we have, again, Jesus' parables are simple stories that were uh, set in everyday life that everyone would have understood. This one is about a king who has a son who's about to get married. And the, so the king is throwing a big wedding feast. And the wedding uh, invitations go out much like ours. It's a two phase process. One is the, what we would call the save the date, right? I just got one of these for a nephew for a wedding this summer. Save the date, getting married. And so we get those, and then a formal invitation will come out a little later. So the, these people got the save the date. Hey, there's a, a wedding, my son's getting married, and I want you to be a part. And they RSVP back, yes, we're in, that sounds so exciting, thanks for the invite. So that's stage one of of the wedding invitation. So they've all been invited, uh, but the date is a little bit fuzzy, all right? So they didn't have a specific day, it'll be Tuesday, March 15th, that's not how they do it. It's like, my son's getting married, it's going to be in a couple of months, it'll be a spring wedding, can't wait to have you. We're going to make preparations, and as soon as the preparations are made, we'll let you know. And so that's, that's where we pick up the story, is the, the first invitation and the RSVPs have already gone out. The preparations have been made for all of those who said we're in, and now the preparations are done. And the king sends out his servants to let all the people who were invited to know, hey, the wedding feast is ready, come on into the party. It's, it's done and we want you here. The party is about to begin. And when we say wedding, when we say wedding feast, we say wedding party, don't think about the wedding that you go to that's four hours on a Saturday. That's not what we're talking about. A wedding in this culture would last up to seven days. And this is a wedding of the king for the king's son. Like this is going to be a long drawn out. It's going to be a week long investment into this party so the king sends out his servants tell all of the invited guests the preparations are done it's time to begin so they he sent his servants out to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come but they refused to come they refused how many of you have ever turned down an invitation to a party anybody if you don't raise your hand, you probably need to attend a meeting. Because that, like, n- of course you've turned down a party. Nobody goes to everything that they're invited to. It's common. It's, it's, it's perfectly acceptable to decline attending a party, right? You don't have to go to everything you're invited to. It's not a big deal. It happens all the time. But here's the difference between our world and this world, Okay? We've never lived in a kingdom ruled by a king. At least not yet. Because when you live in a kingdom ruled by a king, an invitation to a party thrown by the king isn't an invitation you can turn down. In a world ruled by a king, an invitation by the king is akin to a command of the king. You don't refuse a request of a king. You don't do that. And moreover, why would you want to? I mean, when a king is throwing a party, it is going to be a soiree that is far greater than anything you're ever going to be able to experience on your own. Why would you not want to be a part of this amazing celebration? It's an honor to get invited to the wedding of the son of the king. Yet, these people who had received the invitation, who had RSVP'd, said, I'm in, make preparations that include me. When the time for the party comes, they refused to attend. They refused. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell them, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So the king is showing us his gracious patience here. Maybe they just didn't understand. Maybe my servants did a bad job helping to explain it. So I'll send more servants to tell them the party's ready. And just in case you're wondering, like, you've been invited to it? and the preparations have been made and my oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered like that's plural like oxen like many and fatted cow and look that means there's a time limit on this party right this is a world without freezers when the oxen is and when the oxen is slaughtered like we're not saving the leftovers for next spring like we got to eat this thing and there's multiple oxen and multiple cattle and and again We eat meat every day. Like you have bacon for breakfast, a sandwich for lunch, and steak for dinner. Like it's not that big a deal. In this culture, it was a huge deal to have this much meat. This is a party for a lot of people, multiple oxen. How many people can eat on an ox? Like this is is a feast unlike anybody here can experience. And so he's just thinking maybe they just don't understand. Tell them it's ready. Tell them to come. They've been invited. They're on the guest list. Not everybody got an invite, but you do. So come. Come. Everything. Everything's ready. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. Literally, this could be translated. They did not care. They paid no attention. They didn't. They didn't care. They didn't care about the king or his son or the party that he was throwing. They've been invited to this feast to celebrate the son of the king, and they don't care. Instead of going to this lavish feast, they focused on their fields and their businesses. Their money-making ventures mattered more to them than celebrating and honoring the son of the king. The issue isn't that they couldn't come. The issue is that they refused to come. But it gets worse. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. It's one thing to be apathetic toward the king and his request. It's another thing to be antagonistic to the king. And yet that's exactly what these guys do. They seize the servants... They abuse them, and they kill them. And as you probably know, when you kill an ambassador or an embassy of a king, it is an attack, an affront, an offense to the king himself. And so what happens next should not surprise us. The king was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. These people who had received invitations to the party of the king to celebrate and honor his son, they refused to come. And and more than just being apathetic, they became antagonistic. and, And in the end, they experienced the wrath of the king as he sends his army to destroy them to murder them, and to burn down their cities. It cost them everything, including their own life. Now, you could imagine this is how this story would end. Like, he threw a party, invited people, they refused to come, honor the son of the king, and this is a warning that when the king invites you to come to the wedding, you better show up. The end. That could have been the point of the parable. That's not where he ends. He continues. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. It could have just ended with the, the, the invitation went out, people didn't come. And they were destroyed because of it. But that, that isn't going to fly because the king still has a son and the son and his bride are still worth celebrating. The preparations have been made and the party will go on, with or without you. So when the original invited guests Decline their invitation. The guest list now is wide open. It is wide open. And the command from the king is, go into the streets and invite anyone you find. Like anyone. Everyone gets a party. Everyone. So the servants went out to the streets, gathered all the people they could find. Anybody, everybody gets an invitation to the party thrown by the king. The good as well as the bad. In other words, your moral righteousness doesn't get you an invite to the party. It is open and available to everybody, the good as well as the bad. Nobody earns their way into this party. Everybody gets the invite. And this is a picture of the generosity, the graciousness of the king to invite everybody. And it shouldn't surprise us then to find out at the end the wedding hall was filled with guests. Again, because who wouldn't want to be a part of a feast thrown by the king to celebrate his son? This is going to be an extravaganza. Of course I want to go to that. And again, this could be a perfect example of where to end the parable. The king's throwing a party. And the ones who didn't want to come didn't get to come. So the invitation went out to everybody, and the party was the wedding hall was full. It was, it was filled to celebrate the son of the king. And again, Jesus could have ended the parable right there, but he didn't. It continues. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who, who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. There's some debate by scholars of exactly what's going on here. There's some who think that there was just an expectation that you wear your Sunday best. and So you find whatever you have best and you bring it in. That doesn't seem to fit the context of this story. Most scholars, and I would land in this camp, not that I'm a scholar, but it makes more sense biblically to me. That there were times in scripture where the king would actually provide clothes for an event like this. And that makes a whole lot more sense. Because if you think about these people, they're out in the streets. They're highways and byways people. They are living and working in the fields and in the orchards. They are, they are not people who have extra sets of clothes. Most people in this culture had one, maybe two Sets of clothes, and that was it. That's all they owned. They did not have a special set of clothing just in case I get invited to the king's house for a wedding. They didn't have that. And so it makes sense that the king would provide clothing for them. The king would provide all that was needed. And so when this guy, when the king walks in and sees somebody not wearing proper attire to celebrate the son in the presence of the king, he's like, wait, wait. Why are you dressed like that? How did you get in here? Why did you not avail yourself of the clothing that I provided for you? I mean, that's an affront to me that you wouldn't put on the attire that I've asked you to put on to be a part of this celebration. And again, the guy... It says he's speechless. It's not as if he could look at him and say, well, I didn't have any. I don't know what you're talking about. This is all I got. This is my bed." He, he didn't say any of that. He's speechless because everything he needed was provided by the king. He just didn't do what the king asked him to do. Just put on the clothes that was provided for him. So the king asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And we talked about this a few weeks ago. This is not... A term of endearment here. This is, a, this is not something you say to draw people in. This was a rebuke. This is a friend. Wait, wait, what are you doing? And the man is speechless. He has no answer because there was no excuse for him not being dressed correctly for the party that the king threw for his son. He doesn't say anything. He's speechless. But the king is not speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This man, just like the first group of people who were on the invite list, he too incurs the wrath of the king. He's tied, bound, hand and foot, thrown outside. Jesus says where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is... A favorite phrase that Jesus uses when talking about eternal punishment. He too incurred the wrath of God because he didn't dress correctly for the party. And then Jesus gives us the conclusion of the parable. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited. In fact, everybody's invited. Go into the streets, anyone and everyone. Everybody is invited. And few, but few are chosen. And chosen is not a specific group. Everybody got the invite. Many are chosen. The chosen are those who respond correctly to the invite. That's how you get chosen. Is you respond to the invite. The first group of people accepted the invitation, refused to show up to the wedding. The second guy who didn't dress correctly, he shows up to the party, but he's not dressed correctly. It is the response to the invitation that shows that you're chosen. And again, in the context, the meaning would have been crystal clear to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees as Jesus is standing teaching this parable in the temple and they're listening and they know in this moment we were the ones on the invite list and he's saying we're out we were the ones and now we're out they got scratched off the list and all of the riffraff now get to be a part of the party just so you know if you're a gentile here you're the riffraff That's the point of this parable. That we get an invitation to the party from the king to celebrate and honor his son. We got an invite. Again, Jesus came to pick a fight. It's Tuesday, but Friday's coming. This this is setting the course to the cross. He came to pick a fight, and now he has one. Because the very next verse says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. Like they were ready to arrest him at the beginning of this parable. They they were afraid of the crowd. They are not afraid of the crowd anymore. Now they are actively working to trap him. Because they know he's talking about them. And the countdown to the cross is on. Now, this is a great story. And it had great meaning for those who were sitting there listening to it, those Pharisees and leaders, teachers of the law. What is there for us today? I I got a couple of takeaways that I want to give you as we wrap up this morning. Here's the first one. You have been invited to the wedding feast. Like, I don't know if you know that or not. You now get an invite to the wedding party. You're on the list now. You get a chance to celebrate the wedding of the king, the son of the king. You got an invite. If this story were a movie, it would say at the beginning, based on actual events. See, because this story in Matthew 22, it is a made-up story. All the parables are made up. It didn't actually happen. But this one would say based on actual events because this story is a precursor of what is to come. In Revelation chapter 19, eternity kicks off. And anybody in here want to guess how eternity begins? We just talked about it for a half hour. How does it kick off? A wedding feast. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. He's the king. Let's rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb, the son of the king, has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear, provided clothing for those in attendance, to fine linen stands for the righteous acts Of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. This is how eternity kicks off. With a wedding feast, the son of the king is getting married, and you get to be there. You've been invited. You've been invited. That's the first takeaway for us. This is based on actual events. Here's the second thing. You can't just accept the invitation, but you actually have to show up to the wedding. There were a lot of people at the beginning of the parable who accepted the invitation. Yeah, I'll show up, make preparations for me. But when the time came to actually honor the son, they refused to come. It's not enough to accept the invitation. You have to show up to the wedding. We have to show up and actually celebrate the son of the king. We can't, as this text says, put our self-interest first. Our fields and our businesses, our families, our priorities. When the king says, it's time to celebrate the son. It's time to honor my son. We are willing to drop anything and everything to go celebrate the Son. It isn't enough just to, to accept the invitation. When He calls, we come no matter what. Here's the third thing when we come, we come on His terms. When we come, we come on His terms. There's an old saying in in church word. I remember seeing it first in, in my church that I grew up in. There was a sign out front and it had the church name and the service times. And at the bottom it would say, come as you are. And to that I say yes and amen. Come as you are. But I always felt like that was an incomplete saying. It was always incomplete. I think there needs to be an amendment that says, come as you are ready to be changed. Come as you are, but expect to change. That, that's what happens. There was a man who got an invitation who actually showed up to the wedding and didn't expect to change. He came in his own garb, his own clothing, his own righteousness. He did not expect to change Instead of taking advantage of the clothing that the king provided, he he decried the king's command and decided to stay in his own clothing. And the good news for us is that when we come, we come on his terms, which means we put on the clothes he provides for us. And the good news is he does provide for us. Galatians chapter 3 puts it this way. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, I'm sorry, Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. When you came to Christ through faith and were baptized into him, In that moment, this text says, you were clothed with Christ. We, We get an invitation and we show up, but we have to come on his terms, which means we have to put on the righteousness of Christ. We've got to be clothed in Christ. We are clothed. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And don't get caught up. Some people will say, well, baptism is work. No, it's not. This happened through faith. So in Christ Jesus, you were children of God through faith. For, because of your faith, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In that moment, you put on the righteousness of Christ. Baptism is not a work. It is not something you do. It is something that is done to you. In that moment, we put on his righteousness. We are clothed with Christ. We get an invitation to come, but we have to come on His terms. In His righteousness. Not our own. Here's third. We get to invite others to join us. Have you ever gotten an invite to a party and it's got your name and then a plus one beside it? Anybody ever? Just me? You got to go to all your parties alone? Here, this doesn't come with a plus one. This comes with a plus 10, a plus 30, a plus 400, a plus 12,000. However many people you want to bring to the party, the oxen have been slaughtered. There's enough to go around for everybody. You get to make the invite to everybody. Again, Matthew 22, 9 says, So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Go to the market today. Go to your work tomorrow. Go to your school. Invite anyone you find. Everybody gets an invite to this party. You get a plus infinity for however many people you want to bring to this party. That's the cool thing. In fact, let me show you. Let me geek out on a little Greek with you. I want to help paint a picture for you. In Matthew 22, verse 9, that little phrase there. So go, go, go into the streets and invite everybody. This is the This is what it looks like in the Greek. That little phrase right there, I won't say it out loud because I don't know how. (laughs) This is what it looks like. Jesus in Matthew 28, after his death, his burial, and his resurrection, would look at his disciples and say, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We call this the Great Commission. It's the job of all of us who are in Christ. That that. Verse in Matthew 28 begins like this. Therefore go. It is the exact same phrase. It's the same phrase. What the servants got to do in Matthew 22 is the command for you to do in Matthew 28. Go, make disciples, baptize them. Go be the ones inviting everybody to the party. That's what we get to do. Anybody you want to come can come. The party is about to start. The wedding hall will be full. Invite everybody you can. So I don't know where you are in this story, but there's literally like four different applications for wherever you are in the journey today. The first one is if you've never accepted the invitation... The invitation, I'm offering it to you. I have been sent by the king with permission to invite you to the party. If you've not yet accepted the invitation to the party, then do it today. Do it today. doesn't matter if you're good. doesn't matter if you're bad. He will give you what you need to be in this party. To accept the invitation. To, to join the king in celebrating the sun. Here's the second thing. For those of you who accepted the invitation at some point, you prayed the prayer, you went down front, you raised your hand, you accepted the invitation, you actually have to show up to celebrate the king. It isn't enough just to to accept the invitation. you got to show up to the wedding. Are you today celebrating the son? Today. you got to show up to the wedding. Number three. When you come, you can't can't just come on your own terms. You have to come on his terms. He sets the guidelines for how to attend the party. And if you're coming based on your works, and you're coming based on your righteousness, if you're coming trying to carve your own path, then eventually you will get kicked out. You will suffer the consequences. We come, but we come on his terms. Which means we come clothed in Christ. And lastly, for those of you who are clothed in Christ today, you get to go invite people. That's the application for you. You have a card. And you don't even need a card, but you have a card. Like invite somebody to join you in celebrating the sun. Because the wedding is about to begin. Father, we are grateful that you have invited us in, that you have provided all that we need to be a part of the celebration of the Son in the presence of the King. And Lord, I pray that you would put a conviction in our souls today that whichever of these we need to apply to our life today, that you would give us the courage to do it. Because God, we want to be a part of this feast now and forever. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.